Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we wrap up our look at a book written by a man by the name of Charles Abbott. It's a book titled Immersion in Mormonism, especially for new members and also teens and members who struggle. And we might mention, Eric, that you have a review of this book on our website. Yeah, you can go to mrm.org slash Abbott Review with a hyphen between Abbott and Review. And Abbott is spelled A-B-B-O-T-T. And so I talk about many things that we've talked about on this series, as well as some other things that we didn't get a chance to talk about. Well, today we're going to look at his claims regarding what is required in order to get into the celestial kingdom. If there's one thing that Mr. Abbott does, he seems to hold the party line when it comes to the necessity of keeping the commandments if you hope to get into the celestial kingdom. Now, does he assume a lot of things in order to support the Mormon doctrine of a celestial kingdom? Absolutely. Because a lot of the verses that he cites, I don't think say at all what he thinks they're saying. And that's the problem with eisegesis. You have a tendency to read into the passages something that the author never intended, and then you draw a conclusion based on that assumption. And I think Mr. Abbott does that, unfortunately, too many times, as many Latter-day Saints do that far too many times. But on page 105, he says this. He says, There are differing opinions among the churches as to whether man is saved by grace or by good works or by both. Now, I would say in the evangelical community, there's not a whole lot of argument about that. We certainly do believe, as Paul has taught, that we are justified by faith. And this is where I think Mr. Abbott doesn't seem to understand where we're coming from on this. If we are, in fact, justified by our faith, we cannot be justified by our works. Nowhere does Paul say that we're justified by both faith and works. And I know Mormons love to point to James, but again, if you look at the proper context of what James is saying, James is not denying the fact that a person who has a saving faith will do works. We've never argued against that. In fact, many times, as you've heard us say on this show, when a Mormon brings up James 2.20, faith without works is dead, we nod our head in total agreement. We do believe that a saving faith is not dead and that you will have good works that follow. Which is interesting because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, that we are saved unto good works. So there's no contradiction between what Paul was teaching in Ephesians and what James was teaching in the epistle of James. There's no contradiction there. But this is what he says. He says, the scriptures of the restored church, that would be the Mormon church, have clarified our understanding of what is required. We are the only church to teach that because we are spirit children of God and therefore of his species, we have the capability to become like him. Now think about it. 
If this was such a major teaching of the early Christian church, why is it that we don't have any clear verses that support what he just said here? Where in the world do you come up with this idea that we are of the same species of God? You have to really do some scriptural gymnastics in order to draw that kind of a conclusion. This idea of having the capability to become like God. Now, I know that Spencer Kimball, in his book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, said that we will attain the attributes of God, that we will be omniscient and omnipotent. But for the life of me, Eric, I don't understand how that works out in the real world, because there can only be one omnipotent being at any one time. Yeah, and in that citation you just gave, he says that we are spirit children of God. You've got to assume that as well. And I know earlier in this book, he has used Jeremiah 1.5, which is a famous verse to say that before you were born, I knew you. Well, Jeremiah was referring to the omniscience of God and that God knew us, but nowhere does it say that we knew God. And so you have to assume the preexistence or the idea that we were spirit children of God in a preexistent life. He talks about the process of eternal progression, and then he cites 2 Nephi 25-23. Now, he has a typo. His says 15-23. It's actually 25-23, where it says, It is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Now, it's interesting. He takes that verse quite literally and Mm -hmm. reads it and understands it the way it reads in English. But yet we find some Mormon apologists who are a little queasy with 2 Nephi 25-23. They want to change the meaning of that passage to where it says something different, like in spite of all we can do or something like that. It's interesting that Mr. Abbott takes a very traditional understanding of this passage, but then he goes on to say the many biblical scriptures relating to this fundamental doctrine or this clarified. And then once again, he gives a lot of proof text. But if you look up a lot of these verses, you're going to see it's merely talking about what we've mentioned so far. The fact that as Christians, we are going to want to do good works. We are going to want to live a holy and godly life. And that's what a lot of these verses are referring to. An interesting one he throws in the mix, though, is Matthew 548. Be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I wonder how Mr. Abbott interprets that, because traditionally it's been understood that that means you have to do everything you're supposed to do, keep all the commandments. But then you have Jeffrey Holland not too terribly long ago saying, well, no, that's not going to happen. You're going to be perfect eventually, although the word eventually is not in Matthew 5.48. We've talked this week about how Mr. Abbott has been very orthodox in his belief system of Mormonism. And so the doctrines that he gives there, there's nothing that's a big surprise for either you or I, Bill. But I was just trying to figure out where would you find this if he did all this study in in the Bible and other places, the idea that we're saved by grace after all we can do. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't compute with anything that I read in the Bible. I read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and it says we're saved by grace through faith and not by works, it says. Very clear about that. Well, he gets this, again, from Mormonism itself. You're going to have to have something to tell you that. He said that he read the book, A Marvelous Work and a Wonder. And I, I haven't read the whole book of A Marvelous Work and a Wonder, but because of his mention of that book, I did go through and I found a lot of similarities. In fact, some of the same verses being used by Mr. Abbott have been used in this book by Legrand Richards, who was an apostle of the church, wrote this book in 1950. 
And based on what we're talking about right now, I got to read this on page 24 of A Marvelous Work and a Wonder. It just threw me for how abrupt and straightforward Richards is when it comes to this idea of grace. This is what he writes. Erroneous teachings of Christian churches. He said, one erroneous teaching of many Christian churches is, by faith alone we are saved. This false doctrine, I say that again, Bill, this false doctrine would relieve man from the responsibility of his acts other than to confess a belief in God and would teach man that no matter how great the sin, a confession would bring him complete forgiveness and salvation. What the world needs is more preaching of the necessity of abstaining from sin and of living useful and righteous lives and less preaching of forgiveness of sin. Wow. This would then be a different world. The truth is that men must repent of their sins and forsake them before they can expect forgiveness. Even when our sins are forgiven, God cannot reward us for the good we have not done. And what he's saying there goes right along with Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, verse 32. You repent of your sins, you keep the commandments, then you get the forgiveness. I don't know if a lot of people really understand that when they're studying Mormonism from the outside looking in, but that certainly is a teaching that has been emphasized over and over again. The question I would ask Mr. Abbott, as I have asked hundreds of Latter-day Saints on the streets, well, if it's by obedience to commandments, how many commandments must you obey? I've never heard any leader in general conference say, well, some of them are good enough. You only have to repent of some of your sins. That's certainly not been what has been taught by the leadership. And Mr. Abbott, getting up in age, I would wonder how confident he is that his sins are forgiven. See, when LeGrand Richard says we need to talk less about forgiveness and more about keeping the commandments, I would venture to say that a lot of Latter-day Saints that we have come in contact with would probably want to hear more about the forgiveness aspects than the commandment-keeping aspects because... They are not sure whether or not they have the necessary forgiveness of their sins if they are in fact going to enter this alleged top level of Mormon heaven known as the celestial kingdom. You bring up a good point when he says what the world needs is more preaching of the necessity of abstaining from sin. Isn't that what Latter-day Saints pretty much get twice a year at General Conference? They're told how to improve their lives, what they need to stop doing, and they get this regularly. I'm sure every Sunday there's some kind of a mention of you need to get this done if you want to get the very best this religion has to offer. And they're not getting true grace. Let me go back to that statement that Mr. Abbott makes on page 107. He says, The glory we inherit will depend upon the depth of our conversion expressed by our obedience to the commandments. That is traditional Mormonism, as I have understood it, as I have read it from the Mormon leadership. But again, I can understand why many Latter-day Saints would be troubled by that. If the glory a Mormon is going to inherit is going to depend on their depth of conversion, how do you measure an individual's depth of conversion? Within the parameters of New Testament Christianity, some seem to be much more deeper than others. Are you going to say it's all graduated? And how does that graduation look? I mean, a Mormon might say, well, it goes by kingdoms. But yet, 
I would think most Mormons, if you ask them now, in the here and now, do you feel you've kept enough of the commandments to get into the celestial kingdom, most of them would be apprehensive to say yes. Why is that? As we wrap this series up, this past week we've been talking about how this man is a lawyer, or was a lawyer, and so he had to have used evidence throughout his career as a lawyer, and yet this is what he writes on page 118, and this really threw me when I read it. He said, ignore the critics. That's what I do most of the time, and for a number of reasons. First, when it comes to our central beliefs, which are those things that deal with our eternal destiny, I haven't found any arguments of critics that convinced me. I just find that interesting that a lawyer would say, ignore the critics, and that's what he does, because I don't think he's really taken a solid look at what Christianity really teaches. This week we've shown how, for instance, he got the doctrine of the Trinity incorrect, and if he's misunderstanding that, what other things has he misunderstood? He probably does not really get the idea of grace, but thinks that Christians believe they can just go and do whatever they want and sin, and it's going to be okay because they're forgiven by grace. And so I would suggest the Mormon who's listening to this today, don't ignore the critics. See what the critics have to say, and then counter it with the evidence to show that what is being said is wrong. And if they have good points, wouldn't it be smart to perhaps listen to those good points and, if necessary, make a course correction? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.